This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. And we are looking right now at substantial healing of psychological problems. And this is not a lesson in psychology. I think all Christians, as they go through the Christian life, they become aware to some degree of human psychology because we, we're introduced to it uh, from Scripture. The Bible does teach us about human psychology, about thinking, wrong thinking and right thinking. And that is essentially uh, human psychology, how we think. Our, our worldview is part of our psychology. Your psychology is affected by many, many factors. It's affected by your, your rearing as a child. Um, you know, the, the number of people who, who have uh, had a harsh father and as a result they're affected psychologically or a, or a, a distant mother and as a result they're affected psychologically and they, they have bonding issues and, and various different kinds of things that are a consequence of, of the upbringing that they have. When we come to Christ, our lives are so dramatically changed but as we've learned, the process of sanctification is that we come to Christ and we're born again and in Christ we are seated in a heavenly place and we're made new and at some point in our lives we're going to go to glory but in between that we're living in this world and God is working out in us all kinds of issues in our lives. Can you say, oh me? Okay, because that's you and I, right? God is working out all kinds of issues in us in between salvation and glorification, okay? And praise the Lord that he's doing that. So, this, as I said, is not a uh, lesson in psychology. We're going to look at some, some truths here uh, about the Christian life. Genesis chapter 3. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply, sorry, verses uh, 16... To 19. I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. This is a change from before, so there's something different now. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. There's something different there. And if you, you know, if you let scripture explain scripture, if you go to Genesis chapter 4, God warns uh, Cain about sin and he says sin's desire is for you but you should rule over it so this desire is not a good desire this is not women will want a husband and he will lord over them it's not that you're going to want to rule but he should rule he should be head of the home is what it's saying then to Adam he said because you have heeded the voice of your wife that's a rebuke and have eaten from the tree of which I command you, I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And all the gardeners understand that. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Now, Father, we thank you for your word, and we praise you that we can uh, look into Scripture and we can learn about you, and we can learn also about ourselves. Help us, Father, to see us as we are, 
Lord, and to glory in you for your change in our lives. Amen. Praise the Lord. So there's a lot in that passage. And you can see in the text, the text is highlighting changes that have and that will continue to occur. And what he's, what the Lord is showing to Adam is that he's saying to him, things have changed now and you have been separated from the ideal that I intended. God intended a certain ideal and uh, and if ever there was a utopia, it was that for a few moments. God intended that and he says, now you've been separated from that and there are changes within. And so he highlights some of these changes and man's dominion over the, over the uh, uh, creation that he had has been changed. Man is separated in a sense. There is a change within his body and he highlights that with the woman that in, in pain you'll bring forth children and it's not necessarily just the birthing process but there will be pain through the raising of children and we see that pain when Cain kills uh, Abel that there is an expression of, of grief and then there's an expression of joy from Eve afterwards as she is given another, another son. And uh, man will experience sorrow and pain. Man is separated from relationships as they should be. There is a change in the relationship. And, and, and the Lord points out to Adam and Eve that the nature of your relationship now is going to be under tension. And you will have to fight to resolve that tension. Not fight with each other, but fight with these desires to behave in a wrong way. Uh, so that you can walk in right relationship. And so man has this separation uh, of the true order of relationships that has come out of the fall and has continued ever since. So uh, I think it was Phil who taught me the old saying that I'm the head of our home, but my wife is the neck that turns the head, as the old <laughs> saying goes. And, um, and so that saying is a saying that just picks up on this little thing hidden in this passage of Genesis. And uh, your desire shall be for your husband. She, There's something in the female psyche that wants to turn the marriage towards her agenda. And so um, that, when you and I come into salvation, that kind of thing can be resolved because in salvation we come to Christ as equals and we work together within a relationship but within that relationship of equality in Christ there are differences of function within the family and there is an order that God has put in place. So, sorry, let me just go go back to here. Um, so, we want to consider two questions out of this. And we'll skip through these quickly because we can get really bogged down in these and I want to move move ahead. Um, if, if I'm going too long, someone needs to yawn, go like this, and we'll stop and then we can continue with this next week. All right? The first question that man faces is the question of existence. And this is a dilemma for man, especially as man has moved further and further away from his religious roots uh, if you 
travel to Fiji, for example, I've been to Fiji a few times on various different mission trips and, and things. It's very easy to witness to people in Fiji. It's, it's phenomenal because you don't have to start with a debate with this person over the existence of God because most of the population, and we're talking a huge majority, believe that God exists. Uh, whether you're talking to a Hindu, an Indian Hindu, or whether you're talking to a Fijian native, they believe God exists. And so uh, the ability to be able to walk around and witness all day long, you go home fatigued just from talking all day and having these amazing opportunities to share the gospel with people. This question, though, this question of existence is a real dilemma for the atheist, because as we move away from the idea of God and we move away from uh, the creation and the creator, we also move away from reason for existence. Why are we here? What is that purpose? How did we come to exist? And so, you know, if you... Um, I, I love watching... Um, uh, what's his name? Sir uh, David Attenborough... Love watching him, but I have to turn the volume off so many times it's just easier to watch because of the the constant evolutionary um, interpretation that he has, uh, that he reads into, which has no connected uh, understanding in it, but instead is a series of presuppositions that are inserted into the conversation in order to justify this anti-God position that the atheists have. So the question of existence is an endless problem for non-Christians. You and I know why we exist. Because in the benevolence of God, he created man to enjoy fellowship with him and to glorify him in the world. It's, it's a really simple thing. Now, no matter who this person is and no matter what his philosophy is, the fact that he exists is the problem for him. He can't escape this dilemma. Suicide doesn't even escape the dilemma of existence because even with suicide, the rest of us know that this person did exist. And if we're believers, we know that they continue to exist, in fact. So... Um, so the problem number one is that of being, why do I exist? And the problem number two is that of purpose, what am I here for? Now why is this a problem? In, in evolutionary um, thinking, we exist by an accident of nature. And so what is our purpose? What's the purpose? To procreate? Well, why? To subdue the, the animal kingdom? Well, why? What is the purpose of that? And what is the purpose of having moral codes if we believe that we're here as an accident? What is the purpose of that? So, so the, these two problems can be stated in another way. It's, well, I am, but what am I? You know, and so uh, you know the song says, um, "You and me, baby, we're just mammals." 
let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel or whatever it says, you know. Um, it tries to reduce humans to just another animal, right? Now, you, you probably haven't ever seen a group of dogs that gather around and have some sort of convention like this where one dog speaks to the other dogs and, and uh, the, the other dogs interact and have a little chuckle and a laugh and various kinds of things. There is a pack mentality and there's, there's forms of sentience there, but it doesn't function like this. Um, in fact, uh, sometimes a dead person has been found in their own home uh, being eaten away by their own pets because they've died in the house and the pets have not had access to food and then their pets have begun to eat them, you know. And uh, that's, just, that's just a very natural thing for animals to do, you know. Um, it's a famous mafia way of getting rid of human bodies is to throw them into a pigsty. Um, pigs will just eat them. They'll devour them, you know. Rats will too. So, I am, but what am I? And the... This is a dilemma, right? What am I in relation to plants and animals? If you li- listen to this, we, this is why social, mar- uh, social engineering and the, and the Marxism and stuff is so important because vegans elevate animals to the same level of humans and sometimes even above, and they go into farms and they take those animals away without any sense of conscience. Why? Because there's no property Right? It's not their property. You don't own that animal. It's not your animal. I want to liberate it, and so I will, because there is no property under that uh, socialist way of thinking. So this, this is where the conflicts of man's thinking comes in and, and where the psychological problems as a result of the fall occur. Now, thinking about the first question, existence is given meaning and rationality because of the personal creator, the God of the Bible. Now, we once again, we'll just point out that the, the word uh, personal there does not mean God is your personal God. It means that God, the creator, has personality. He thinks, he acts, he feels, he speaks, he communicates, he loves, he has hatred toward unrighteousness. Right? He hates the wicked works of men. He has a sense of justice and will apply that justice to mankind. So, so existence for us is given meaning because God is a personal God, a God with, of personality. And that God has created man in his image. And so the reason why communication is a reality is because you and I reflect the nature of God. God is a communicator. Amongst the very first words of Scripture are God saying, let us, let us make man in our image. And so we see communication that is happening and man is made in the image and likeness of God and and this idea means that we bear attributes like God has. We exist, God exists. We can think, God thinks. We can feel, God feels. Okay? We bear these attributes and we have, uh, we have this ability to communicate 
because God is a God of communication. So this is important for us uh, because this understanding of the existence of God brings meaning into life. Suicide rates in our nation are rising higher and higher and higher. And part of that, especially young, young men, is that they do not have a sense of purpose and hope in the world. I tell you, it disturbs me greatly that you would see a news report with 10 and 12-year-old children crying at a public event because of the state of the world and climate change. Because they've been told the world is not going to exist and we're all going to die by their teachers. Now that's a that's a corruption of of you know their role. So God is infinite and God is personal. It's important for us to understand this. It's the existence of God, the God of the Bible, that gives meaning to humanity. To understand existence, man needs two things. He needs an infinite reference point. And by that, we don't mean a reference point that is infinitely far off. We mean a reference point that has the quality of infiniteness or, uh, you know, um, of everlastingness, of eternality. Okay? Um, And he needs uh, that this infinite reference point be personal, that it has the quality of personhood because without this, creation and existence does not make sense. We are just a globular mistake, if that's the case. We're just a bunch of atoms swinging around and there's no reason in life why there should be any moral code without a moral creator. There's no reason. There is no reason why you and I should have a sense of right and wrong about lying, about stealing, about killing. There's no reason why. These are not the dictates of some social construct. These are laws that God has put within mankind called the conscience. And these laws have meaning because of a personal creator. So, he who rejects the God of the Bible cannot reasonably argue the reason for his existence and and his existence at all. So Christianity provides for both these requirements. An infinite reference point of personality. God who loves man. Now, the non-Christian cannot know anything outside his own existence. None of anything else can be absolutely sure for the non-believer and there is no reason behind his existence. Now, this is all important because this deals with the tension that is within mankind. And if you, if you get involved in evangelism, these principles can really help you because you will hear people's arguments against you when they promote atheism and, and uh, evolutionary theory and these kinds of things. 
And rather than getting caught up into these kinds of arguments, you can go to the root arguments. And you can deal with the philosophical root of things as to the meaning for existence. And this is a huge issue. This is why the new atheists or the neo-atheists, I, I believe, are so aggressive in their uh, outspokenness against Christianity because they have to give themselves a sense of meaning and purpose. Because outside of doing that, aggressively attacking religion and especially Christianity, very few of them have ever attacked Islamic uh, teachings, but outside of that, there's no real reason for the, for the existence of man outside of that. Let's move on. So God exists. Therefore man exists. We were created in his image. Um, now, this means that we can answer this question, the purpose of existence. What am I here for? The purpose of existence is to commune with God, the infinite and personal reference point. And we can go on into catechisms or, or statements of faith and creed and various different things to, to know God and to make him known in the world, uh, these kinds of things, that's fine. But don't, don't underestimate the importance of this point, to commune with God. This reason for existing, that you and I would commune with God and out of that communion with God would come the foundations of the reason for your marriage, the reason for your family, the reason for your job, the reason for your interaction with people. All of these things will flow out of the communion that you have with God and the growth that you have in the Word of God, because this gives meaning to your existence. And it makes your existence to be not fruitless at any point. This is vital for us. So, man must ask himself, as a person, what am I? You can ask yourself that. As a person, what am I? Because we're not talking about the surface things. As a person, what am I? Do I say I'm an Anglo-Saxon? You know? Do I say I'm light? Um, do I say I'm chubby? Do I say I'm, I'm ageing? This is not the real me, those things. Uh, do I say I'm a postie or a pastor? Do I invert them because one gives me more meaning than the other? Do I, do I rely on these kinds of things? Do I say I'm a father, a husband, all these kinds of things? There are two fundamental things that we are before all of these things, and this is important. We are rational, because even in asking those questions, there's a process of rationality going, going on in our lives. We're rational and we're moral. Unlike some animals, we don't eat our babies. Can't say that. It's true. There are some animals in the animal kingdom that do that kind of thing. It's, it's common for the female wolf that uh, as she gets close to birthing, she leaves the pack and she goes away and she finds a den to give birth to her pups 
And if any of the men from that male dogs, from that, from that pack, come near her, she'll savagely attack them to drive them away because she knows that, especially on the tail end of winter when food has been scarce, that those dogs are ravenous for any kind of food and they will just eat the pups, all of them. She knows that. So she'll defend them. We don't do that because we are moral. We're rational and we are moral. I am, I exist, but I exist as a rational and moral creature of God's creation. And this rationality and morality distinguishes each person and distinguishes us from the rest of God's creation. It separates us. Now, man is separated from God. We're separated from God through our sin, but we're separated from God in characteristics. We said before that man needs an infinite reference point of personality. This implies something that is way different to us. So God is infinite and man is finite. Amen? All right. So there's a separation in this. But in this, even though God is infinite and I'm finite, God has done something so that we can commune with him. God has reached towards us. Why? Because he is a God with personality who has created us as humans to be able to commune. And so God has put within us this not only desire for communion with other people and with him, but he's bridged that so that we can commune with him. We'll talk more about that later. Man is separated from creation because he is personal. There's a difference between us. I know I've met some tree huggers and I love nature. I love being out in nature. But I've never had a conversation with a tree. I've never done that. And um, I, I love all kinds of things about nature, but I've never sat down, talked to my veggies. I haven't done that. They've never talked back to me either. They've never interrupted me while I've been walking around the garden pondering, you know, the universe. It, it hasn't happened that the silver beaters said, hey, Lionel, don't pick me, you know. It, it just hasn't happened. It's never happened. There's a separation between us and the creation, okay? But I can tell you, if you want to send yourself insane, do some search uh, on the philosophies of vegans and various other groups like that. You do some search, you will find some weird stuff about what they say about the creation and communi communing with nature and various different kinds of things. Now... We have rationality and we have morality. So to understand our dilemma and our separation within ourselves, because we, we've been broken, haven't we? we? We sometimes talk about when we're counselling people that sometimes we'll describe that person as broken. They've, they've had hardship and they're broken, you know? And so um, uh, whatever it may be, we're broken, as a result of the fall, you and I have 
in this world. We, we continue to exist and we're, we've been separated from the true selves that we should be. But we're personal, we're rational, we're moral, and like God, uh, in many ways we, we have characteristics similar to God. So, Genesis 3, 4 to 6. Here's a case of people trying to live outside the circle that God put them in. God created Adam and Eve, put them in the garden, and he said, you can have everything. It's all for you except those trees. Don't eat from those trees. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Now this came true. They did know good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So the fall was a response to this call to be something that they were not supposed to be. They're stepping outside of the boundary, trying to be something that they were not supposed to be. Now, this all this gender theory today is trying to urge children to step outside the biological boundaries to be something they're not supposed to be. Can't be. Exactly. And so this creates psychological dilemmas That's what happens there. And so for Adam and Eve, this created instantly a problem that took place. Genesis 3 verse 7 speaks of this problem. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, so they came to know good and evil, but not how they were supposed to. You see, their knowledge of evil or their knowledge of sin was supposed to be in the sense that parents all want their children to understand, don't touch that, it's hot. You know? How many children have done that? Don't touch that, it's hot. How many of us ever put our hand on the the glass on the pot belly stove, you know, and and burnt your hand, left your skin there, you know, as you really... It's hot and you pull it away and your, your handprint is there on the... You know, I did that as a kid. Because I had to touch because I was told not to. Don't touch that. So we cross a line. We step outside the sphere of what we're, what we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do because that protection that God put around me in the form of my parents who said not to do these things, I wanted to step outside of that and be the person I wasn't supposed to be in that instance. It's, it's a very simple thing. The eyes of them both were open. So here's a change that happened. And they knew they were naked. Before they did not know. There was something of innocence about them beforehand. And um, there's an interesting word in the Chinese language. If you take the, the word for, um, uh, for, for a person, which has got a, a I go backwards, it's got a stroke down like this, a little cross there, and a and leg kind of section moving out at the bottom. 
and, uh, and it means a human. And then if you put two little marks around the top part that we might associate as being the human, it means fire. And so it's an interesting thing. Some people have proposed that in the first stage of creation as man was created, that, that he was indeed clothed in the glory of God. And just like Moses, when he came down off the mountain and he was glowing so strongly that they wanted him to put a bag over his head. Because he was glowing so brightly, they couldn't look on him. And so some people have proposed that Adam and Eve, in that creation, and their closeness and communion with God, that they were just radiating the glory of God as his creation. And that glory was broken at that point. And they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. You see, this is a biblical description of the conscience at work. You know, it's when you're a child and and your mum says, don't put your hand on that, it's hot, and you do it, you have trouble asking for help from her because you know you did the wrong thing. And so you're trying to go... You know, cool it down, blow on it and put it in water and all these kinds of things and you don't want to tell your mum because you know you disobeyed her. And, uh, and so there's this psychological battle that starts to take place even as a young child. That this boundary that mum put up, I crossed over it. Now I have to battle with this inward working of knowledge of guilt. This is how the conscience works. This is the brokenness now of man. They were not broken, they became broken, and now they saw themselves. Their conscience was at work, and they knew who they were. Let's think of this in two areas. On the one hand is the area of rationality. Even the hardcore atheists will create mystical ideas about... um, the universe, the hardcore atheists, in order to explain existence. So one is uh, Lawrence Krauss, theoretical physicist. Now that's an interesting title, isn't it, for a, for a um, study, an area of study, theoretical physicist. And some theoretical physicists have explored in area that are outside the boundaries of known physics and have pulled people along into areas that they kind of had this feeling was existing out there. But Krauss believes that the universe is not a universe, it is a multiverse. And that um, we can only see our universe, but there are many universes existing. And uh, But it's only a theory. And the further and further man-made telescopes, and there are some big ones that can see a long way, further than you can see, um, a long, long way, deep into the universe, and they still can't see any indication of a multiverse. But you see, this is a mystical answer. It's, a, it's an answer because it suits his presupposition. And it expands the realms of possibility. You see, well, you know, yeah, the atheists put up a pretty good argument about existence and why we're here. But let's expand it because if we expand the universe and we expand time, we can make anything possible. And so they do. Man will reason Why does existence have to be seen rationally? Why not just accept it as irrational? The simple random chance 
of an unintelligent force called evolution. But then they talk about evolution like it's a personality. Evolution made these changes. Evolution did this. Evolution did that. Mother Nature did these things. And, and Mother Nature, and there is a, there is a stream... And let's stay on track. You can look up Gaia and the worship of nature, G-A-I-A. So existence for them is just a chance encounter. But everything about you and I denies that because if it's just chance, why do we have this rationality? Well, I grew up in a non-Christian family and there was plenty of love within that family. There was other issues like every family has. But I grew up in that environment where there was a lot of rationality. Whether it was irrational or extremely logical, it was still forms of rationality that existed. Why? Why is that? Now, man's own rational nature is contradicted by his irrational reasonings of existence. When we deny the God of Scripture and we try to give meaning for existence outside of that, we become irrational in thought. No matter how intellectual it may sound, it still becomes irrational. And so you get things like punctuated equilibrium. And Anyone never heard of that? You've never heard of punctuated equilibrium? Punctuated equilibrium is an evolutionary theory that says that things were just slowly, incrementally changing and then all of a sudden there was an ice age and so bang, things changed really quickly in that time and then it stayed like that for a long time and we're in a long period of time now where nothing's changing but soon there'll be some cataclysmic event that will cause this great jump again in development and we'll go on to be the superhumans or we may cease to exist and some other animal with... um, Four eyes or something, you know, eyes in the back of his head to protect himself from the enemy behind. It's irrational. And so we contradict ourselves with these irrational reason, reasonings. Secondly is morality. Man cannot escape the fact of the workings of right and wrong. All right, I'm going to close in just a moment. Without the existence of a personal creator, the existence of morality does not make sense. It just doesn't make sense. So, man is unable to establish and keep his own relative standards of morality. So man makes standards of morality and he agrees to those. He enters into social contract with people and then he breaks those standards of morality himself. So this is a description of personality, that which thinks, acts and feels, in summary. But man is separate from God who thinks, acts and feels in that you and I are finite. Okay, That's a bit of a summary of where we're up to. Um, I think we might stop there because there's a lot to go on with. I'll stop here. Man is unable to have infinite freedom and he is not the God of his own existence. When you listen deeply to the 
anti-Christian and the anti-creationists and these kinds of people, you will see that they have put mankind in a deified position and, and indeed the, the creation in a deified position, uh, replacing any need for God. And they try to get their meaning for existence out of all that type of stuff. So um, we're saying this because at the root of our psychological issues, and you may not believe me, but you and I have them, right? We have them. Trust me, you've, you've got some too. I know I have them, but I can promise you, you have some. At the root of that is this healing that is taking place in our lives from the brokenness we were before Christ to the glorification when we go to be with Christ. In between there, God is changing you and he's shaping you as your life comes in accord with his word. As that happens, God is shaping you, molding you, healing you. And this is really the direction of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 when it talks about pulling down the strongholds. It, it is solely a passage about thinking. It's not about demonic forces and and such, it is about the realm of thinking that in that realm, you and I can have a stronghold of wrong thinking and that that stronghold is broken down by right thinking, by investing the word of God into the mind and yielding to it. And as we yield to it, that stronghold of wrong thinking, that fortress is the word Paul uses, of wrong thinking is broken down and we come into right thinking. And that is where God begins to substantially heal us of this split that's happened in mankind since the fall. This this brokenness that we bring into life. You know? And um, so we'll, we'll close there because otherwise we'll be here for another 20 minutes. Are there, are there any questions? I hope this is not too psychological. I don't want it to be too much along that line. It's not a psychological lesson, but it's important for us to see that we are broken and God is in the process of healing us. And we have wrong thinking, right? How many times has, uh, you know, as a parent... And your child comes to you and they say, oh, I'm falling in love with this person. And you say, are they a believer? Say, he's a really nice guy, Dad. <laughs> they don't want to answer that question, you know, because there's wrong thinking, right? That's going place. And so instead of dealing with that issue of my wrong thinking and correcting it, instead of doing that, I am going to justify it. He's an awesome guy. He's got a great job. He loves his mum. Loves his mum. You know. Washes, shaves. You know. So we go through this list to try and justify it, so that we can we can present this idea and sell it to to the party that we want to um, agree with us. These kinds of things. That's just one example. We go through many. These kinds of things are the types of issues that come out of this brokenness that we have, you know. And, um, you know, and so we have to understand that if we can see that we, we are broken people, but God is in the process of healing us, we can actually move with him in that healing process and be taken to a place where we are biblically, psychologically sound, you know, and, uh, and, and where we're able to make 
good decisions because we're not making that decision on the basis of feeling and what we want, but we're making it on the basis of wisdom from Scripture, which is not always what we want. All right? Praise the Lord. You happy to stop there? Stop there. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.